Hi, this is Violet Lang. Welcome to my podcast, The Pleasure Path, all about love, dating, relationships, and femininity. I help successful spiritual women find their pleasure and their power to create healthy partnership. In the final part of a pleasurable pregnancy, I cover how to keep your partnership strong, the emotional spiritual connection during pregnancy, how to leverage your incredible creativity during this special chapter, and more. Tune in now. Welcome to part three of the pleasurable pregnancy. We are going to have a lot of fun today because we're going to be talking about pregnancy and partnership, my little tips and tricks and miscellaneous tools, plus how mindset, emotion, and spirituality affect our experience when we're pregnant. So if you missed our previous two episodes related to this topic, you might want to go back and check those out after you're done listening to this. I talk about supplements and food and diet. Well, I don't even like the word diet, but <laughs> you know what you eat and what you drink uh, in the part two. And then in part one, I talk a lot about our conception journey. So let's dive in. You know, the part about pregnancy related to our partner is huge. It's actually, I think, one of the most important parts of pregnancy because your partner is most likely the person that you conceived your baby with. It's most likely the person who is your main source of emotional support as you're going through this massive transformation. And don't forget, your partner is also going through his or her own transformation. Uh, hormonally, our partners change. Our bodies are changing a lot, of course, and, and most of the physical change is happening through our bodies. But if your partner is male, when you're pregnant, his testosterone is going to go down and he's going to have more oxytocin so that biologically he doesn't kill the baby. The, the male was designed this way to, during the pregnancy stage, have less testosterone so that there's more of a bonding with the baby when the baby arrives. But that means that your partner is going to be going through their own changes too. And so it's important that both of you navigate time for yourself and time together. So one of the things that Jason suggested a few months into the pregnancy was to have a 30 minute a day connection time, which has been so wonderful. It's been given us, been giving us a chance to connect with one another. And, you know, there's times when we could maybe do a little more structure, like having actual practices and stuff, but just knowing that we have that sacred space where we're going to see each other at night and there's not going to be any technology is really helpful for me, at least in feeling safe and feeling connected. Now I mentioned in the first episode in part one, that we also had started seeing a couples counselor about a year and a half ago, which we don't really see her that much anymore, but it was really helpful at the time. So having someone who's kind of on call or, or a good resource for you as a couple, not just as you as individuals, is also so important. They can hold space for both of you. They can ask insightful questions. They can point out your blind spots and hold you accountable in ways that you might not be as supportive as you could to the partnership. The other thing that we really liked is to spend some time away, getting away. So we did a few different things. We actually did a little bit of a baby moon in the first trimester. Jason had found a really cool place a few hours outside of LA that's called The Ranch. And there's really nothing there other than a beautiful little ranch to stay at. Uh, but it was really nice to get away with him and the dog. And especially at that time was in my eighth eighth or ninth week when I was feeling a little bit of that, you know, uh, fatigue and 
morning, it wasn't morning sickness, but, you know, food aversion and a little bit of nausea. So it was just really nice to be able to get away and relax together. And then we had the blessing of having a second baby moon in Italy because one of our friends, Matt and Jess, got married in Italy. And so it was really cool to be able to spend time together. I had traveled to Egypt. And then after Egypt, I met Jason in Italy because my Egypt retreat or the, the retreat I was on in Egypt ended the day before the wedding festivities began. So we met in Rome. I met Jason in Rome, and then we we spent uh, about 10 days in Italy, which was amazing. And that was really nice to not just get away, but to be in luxury, to have really delicious foods and be able to walk and see amazing sights. And, you know, obviously I wasn't drinking a lot of wine, but he enjoyed a little bit of that. And, uh, and there were a few times where I put just a tiny bit of wine with a bunch of sparkling water and made like a little spritzer. So I found a way to have, uh, have plenty of fun with it including lots of gelato. Now, even if you can't go to Italy, you can plan something that's fun. That's a nice getaway. And then we ended up going back to the ranch on the third trimester as well. So we really had three different baby moons and I'm so glad we did because it gave us the space and the time to connect and recharge and just enjoy, enjoy our life together pre-baby. Um, the other thing that I suggest is that just be mindful of when you look to your partner for validation. And this is something I did probably too much during my whole pregnancy. You know, in the beginning I would complain because, oh, my thighs are getting fat, you know, and he'd reassure me or, you know, oh, I'm so emotional. And he'd say, yeah, you're, you're pregnant. It's okay. You're supposed to be, you know? So he was really beautiful uh, at holding space. But in hindsight, I think maybe I was, yeah, I was coming in, a, coming from a place of insecurity instead of wonder and delight at this miracle that my body was transforming and, and creating a baby. And there were times later in the pregnancy where he would say, you know, like, oh, wow, you're huge, you know, because I was obviously much bigger than he'd ever seen me before. Um, but sometimes that felt like, oh, maybe I am. And I think if I had kept a positive self-image throughout, you know, not complaining about my thighs or those things, maybe he would have had a really positive self-image or image of me throughout too. I mean, he's, he still did and he does. He didn't mean it in a negative way. But I do think that the words we say to our partner about ourselves definitely influence the way our partner feels about us and why put out there, you know, insecurities that, that ideally you can resolve on your own through body massage and affirmations and looking in front of the mirror and, and connecting with other moms, other women who are pregnant. I don't have a lot of women in my immediate circle in Los Angeles who are pregnant, but there's quite a few of my Facebook friends who are pregnant at the same time. And it was really nice to just be able to message with them back and forth and get some reassurance and kind of check in with each other. So I highly suggest having a mommy to be group or connecting with people online that, you know, you know, from other parts of your life. Other things related to partnership that are important is to just know that your libido may change. I think a lot of women who are pregnant, their libido goes down. They don't feel comfortable. Their body's getting bigger. You know, they feel, you know, maybe bloated or, or swollen, or they just aren't feeling as connected to their sense of sexuality. And I definitely went through a few phases like that, but they were pretty short, like maybe a few days at a time. Overall, my libido went way up. I think maybe because I'm having a girl and there's a lot of estrogen running through my body and oxytocin and all of these hormones. I'm not sure why, but my, my libido went way up. And because the testosterone levels in the male partner go down, you know, my partners went down slightly. And so just know that that might happen. You might have more dreams about sex. I definitely have had more dreams about sex because of my hormones um, and have definitely just felt more turned on. And so that's been a conversation that, you know, we're having, my, my partner and I are having about how to 
keep both of our needs getting met and how to appreciate and acknowledge the fullness of our life and of our love. I mean, both of us have never been more in love than ever before. Um, so it's beautiful, beautiful experience. And there are things that are going to change. And I think I have some fear, some fear around, you know, our sex life changing after baby. And everyone tells us that it will. And we were talking last night that, yes, it's going to change. But what if it could get better? You know, what if we could discover more about each other? And what if we can um, make this even more passionate? So I'm really excited about that. A little bit nervous, of course, but also, also very excited. You know, as much as you can get TLC from your partner. Have them rub your feet, order you food. You know, Jason surprised me with flowers. A few months into the pregnancy, he also surprised me with this beautiful oracle deck by Rumi. I forget the name of it, but it's a Rumi oracle deck by Alana Fairchild. He surprised me with all sorts of little things. He ordered this really cool LED light that looks like the shape of a heart that's going above our bed. It's already, it already is above our bed and it will provide soft lighting for me and for the baby when I'm breastfeeding. And that was really sweet. So having as much TLC as possible because you're going to be giving birth and, and the primary person caring for the baby right when the baby comes out. Now there's a phrase, I don't know who came up with it, but I think it's someone obviously from, um, either the medical fields or the doula, doula network, but it says the mother swaddles the baby and the, the partner or the father swaddles the mother. So the more that you feel held by your partner, the smoother the pregnancy will be. Um, Jason and I did not have very much conflict at all this whole year, which I feel so grateful for because we did have a more intense year the year before. And I'm really glad that we had worked through some of that. And in hindsight, maybe that's part of why the miscarriage happened. It's not because we had anything major, but we were, we were in a different place as a couple. We weren't quite as solid in our level of trust and our foundation of love for each other. So the baby chose a very good time to come, to come back. Uh, let's move on to the next category. This is a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. So you might want to take notes. Um, just my little tips and tricks. Some of them I had mentioned before, but I'm going to go through them because it feels really important. So this is about self-care primarily. The first tip is to get a dog walker. I mentioned that in a previous episode, but if your dog pulls a lot or, you know, if you're just having a day where you need to chill and your partner's not around or he or she works long days, Having a dog walker that's on call when you need it is a lifesaver. And I can only imagine when you actually have the baby, it's the exact same. But to me, it was well worth uh, having a friend be able to do this. So one of our guy friends who's really good with our dog just has offered, and, and we're paying him, of course, but has offered to uh, to help out with Mimi sometimes. So he has been so helpful. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> the, uh, the other suggestion that I have for self-care is to start preparing for the fourth trimester sooner. So there's a concept that the fourth trimester is the time that the baby should still be in the womb, but as humans, the baby only has three trimesters because if the baby had a fourth trimester, we would die in childbirth. The baby would never actually get out of our body. So at some point in our evolution, the baby started coming out much sooner than any other mammal. You know, if you look at a horse or an elephant or a giraffe or a pig, anything else that comes out that's a mammal, it comes out and it's able to walk. It's able to do basic functions. Our babies do not come out of the womb ready to walk. They come out of the womb and they're, they're still in a very infantile state. There is a book called The Happiest Baby on the Block by Harvey Karp. It's amazing. And he talks more about this concept of the fourth trimester. 
but you can start preparing for that sooner. I didn't really hear about it until, I don't know, 32 or 34 weeks or something. And then I got a book called The Fourth Trimester by Kimberly Johnson, I believe is the author's name, from my good friend Rahi. And that was a game changer. I didn't realize how much postpartum care I was going to need until I read that book. So if I had to do this again, I would read The Fourth Trimester. And there's also a book called The First 40 Days, which is a cookbook for The Fourth Trimester. I would have started reading those much sooner. I had time on my hands. I mean, granted, I was busy with work and travel and things, but I still could have snuck in more reading. And I would have started reading that sometime in the second trimester. So read those books sooner rather than later. The Happiest Baby, The Fourth Trimester, and The First 40 Days. The other things that were important and have been important for my self-care are rebozo. Rebozo is a really long Mexican scarf, and you can use it during the birth process itself to relax and open the sacrum and to provide some relief or what they call it comfort measures. There's tons of videos on YouTube on how to do that. I won't go into that now. And then it also doubles as a way to carry the baby. I haven't yet figured out how to do that. <laughs> I will need to watch some YouTube videos and have my friend Ashley, who is a sacred family uh, coach and, and mentor, help us with the baby carrying. That might have to be another episode or a video someday. But the rebozo is really cool and has been helpful for helping release my lower back whenever it gets a little bit tense. My husband has been able to help me with that. The other tip and, and tool that I really loved is the birth ball. I'm still using it for opening up my hips, opening up my lower back. You're able to squat on the birth ball and make figure eights with your hips or circles and stretch out the sides of the waist and up along the rib cage and the shoulders if you're on the ball, but you're holding on to something else. So birth ball is basically just an exercise ball. I did not know this though, that you don't want it to be fully inflated. You only want it to be about 80% inflated. So there's a little bit more give and bounce. And so that means you need to order a bigger size than you normally would. So I had ordered a 65 inch or 65 centimeter ball because it said it was good for up to someone who is 5'10 and I'm 5'8". But then my doula was like, no, no, that's way too small. So I ordered an 85 inch one because, uh, because yeah, you want it to be not fully inflated. So there's a little bit of bounce and you want it to be tall enough that your knees are in line or slightly lower than your hips, not higher than your hips. So I'm excited to use my bigger birthing ball. It just arrived and <laughs> excited to use it soon and for the birth itself. Now, the other, uh, resource that I mentioned earlier in another episode was spinal network analysis or network spinal analysis, NSA. My doctor for that is named Dr. Christopher George, and he is excellent. They do both physical adjustments, but also like energy work and breath work. And he has been a lifesaver for the conception, for the pregnancy itself, just making sure that my energy is aligned and open and same with my husband. So highly recommend you check out NSA and find a practitioner that you love in your area. Something else I really loved were float tanks. I've only gone once so far in this pregnancy, but I want to go again. In fact, I would like to go sometime this week. It felt so incredible to be held in this womb-like pod, in this float tank pod, knowing that my body was also holding this basically float tank of my womb, of the amniotic sac, with my baby. And Ruby loved it too. She moved a ton. I think she moved more in the float tank than any other time in, in an hour-long period that she has. So she loved it and I should and want to go back and do that again for her. So if you're not sure what a float tank is, they probably have them in your area. They're becoming more and more popular. You might also see them called deprivation, sensory deprivation tanks. It's where you're going into a pod or a, a 
you know, chamber that has nice, warm, salty water in it. It's shallow. You lay back, you close your eyes. It's completely dark and normally completely sealed. Although some of them have an LED light inside that you can turn on if you want to have that just to feel more safe or, or more alert. I always turn it completely off. And then you put in earplugs. Those are really important because you don't want the salt water to get in your ears. It's very highly salty, but it makes sure that you're buoyant and that way you can literally float and not be touching anything and not be seeing anything. So all of your senses other than touch are really, are really minimized. So it's kind of like a deep meditation. It brings me so much more contact with my body and so much more grounding and helps me feel really peaceful and slows my energy down. <laughs> so highly recommend float tanks. So let's talk a little bit more about body care, face care, care down there. <laughs> so I'll go with that first. Um, you know, I've never really used like personal hygiene towelettes that much other than at Burning Man because it feels very wasteful. And I just didn't, I don't know. It's never been something that I felt like I wanted to put my money into or, or put into the environment. However, I will say that when you're pregnant, your pH does change and everything down there kind of changes, not in a bad way. It's just, you know, you're probably going to have more discharge or more, more fluid. And so having a few little towelettes, I got some rose water scented ones or, um, use ones that uses, that use rose water from target. Those have been really nice just to take little individual ones with me on the go in my purse. So that's something I do recommend. Again, I don't like to waste in the environment, but to have it on hand every once in a while is, is really nice. And then you also want to take care of your vulva when you are pregnant because she's going to be doing a big job of opening and having this baby and having this birth. So I had seen a YouTube video that recommended putting oil on your perineum and on your vulva throughout the pregnancy. And then I've also heard that, you know, it's really something you don't need to worry about until your third trimester. But I started doing it sometime in the second trimester. And to be honest, I could have started doing it even earlier, probably, even though my body wasn't actually like big or having a baby in it in the first trimester. It's never too early, I feel like, to make sure that your vulva is supple and that you are managing the skin and, and the tissue down there. And then specifically, perineum massage is something that a lot of practitioners will recommend as you get closer to the due date. The perineum is that space between the vaginal opening and the anus, and it's a thick band of muscles all around that area, many different layers of muscles through the pelvic floor and other muscles. And so having some perineal massage will help the experience to be smoother and minimize minimize tearing. Now there's other things you can do with breath and, and other things during the actual birth that I'm not going to go into now. And, and I haven't had my birth yet, but I do know that so far having the perineal massage, doing that for myself has been really great. You could probably have your partner do this for you as well. And then in terms of the oil, my doula recommended jojoba, apricot, or coconut oil, apricot kernel or coconut oil. In terms of body and face care, Speaking of oil, I really loved having oil near my bed and in the shower. So after the shower, like before I would turn off the water, but after I was done soaping and shampooing and all of that, I would put the oil on especially my belly and my breasts, but really throughout my whole body and then let the warm water just kind of run on it and seal it in. And then I also would put oil near my bed so that at nighttime I could do the same thing. I didn't oil my whole body all the time, but I would try to do my stomach and my breasts. And as we talked about my perineum and my vulva. 
And it just helped me to to feel like I was doing everything I could to not have stretch marks. I don't know if I'm going to have stretch marks. I'll have to see how my body looks after baby comes out. But I haven't had too much like itchiness or scratchiness or any of the other signs that they say could be could be signs of stretch marks. I mentioned in an earlier episode when I talked about movement that I do recommend exercising. And for me, doing some chest exercises were really important to keep my pecs strong. So these were just with small little hand weights. And you can find exercises like that through Samantha Fox Olson, who's the woman that I signed up for her YouTube video, or not YouTube, her um, her private platform with a bunch of different videos. And she has some great arm exercises that helped me to feel strong and helped me to feel like my breasts were staying relatively, relatively perky, even as they were getting much bigger. Now, one of the things I was bummed to find out is that when you're pregnant, not everyone will give you a scrub. Like right in LA, we have Korean spas where you can get a scrub. And and that means someone will take like a sugar or a soap scrub and a mitt and they will, they will scrub every inch of your body. And it's amazing. It makes your skin feel baby soft and it's such a nice self care. I wish I could do this when I was pregnant. I would love someone to scrub my body, but I think that there's a lot of fear that the water's too hot or what if they, you know, touch like the wrong place and an acupressure point or something like that. None of the places I called were willing to do a scrub for a pregnant woman. So I had to get resourceful and just do one myself. You can buy those little mitts. It's hard to describe, but it's basically like a very, to me, it feels very abrasive, but in a good way, exfoliator. It's like a mitt or a little piece of fabric. And I just took, um, like another body, body wash or body, um, kind of scrub thing, put it on that. And it feels really nice. It has felt really nice for me to exfoliate my skin. Now we're lucky that our shower and bath area has these handles or rails that were already installed when we moved in, probably for someone who had lived there before that was elderly or someone that just needed some extra support. So luckily I can hold on to those rails. I can put one foot at a time up on a rail and that's helped me with shaving my legs and doing my scrubs in the shower. I've read some posts that women are like, oh, I can't bend over. You know, I've gotten to the point where I can't bend over. I have a really long torso, so I've still been able to bend over even now in my 38th week, but having those handles and rails was really, really nice. So make sure, of course, if you're in the shower and you're using oil and these things I've been talking about, that you have some sort of slip resistant mat or covering or something that can keep you upright when you're in the shower. And also ideally something that you can hold on to. Other parts of self-care is I've never actually been a huge like mani-pedi person. I enjoy them, but I've never been someone to go regularly. But being pregnant, I did start going about every six weeks or so. It was a nice little self-care for me, especially my feet. Um, Your feet do get a little bigger when you're pregnant. I'm hoping mine kind of go back to their regular size. They're not necessarily swollen, but they're just a little bit wider. It's hard to describe. They're just they're just a tiny bit bigger, and so it's nice to know that someone's caring for them. And um, yeah, just makes me feel really pretty. And then in terms of hair color, I've read lots of things that you should never color your hair when you're conceiving or pregnant or giving birth. That you can color it, but it shouldn't be close to the scalp. I only colored my hair once. I had a highlight done in June, which was my fourth or fifth month of pregnancy. And she did it so such that it was pretty far away from the scalp. So that felt safe. She said it was safe and she's done that before. Um, however, I find that I'm using dry shampoo and I don't have to wash my hair that often, maybe only two or three times a week and then the dry shampoo. And it's keeping my hair really vibrant. Part of the beauty of pregnancy is your nails grow stronger and your hair is thicker and your skin is brighter. At least for me, my skin has been brighter and more full and more 
more radiant. And I, a lot of that I think is because of all the hormones and the prenatal vitamins and how diligent I've been with my supplements and eating healthy. But my, my recommendation for coloring your hair is do what feels right for you. Do some research if you want to definitely talk to your hairstylist and make sure they can do whatever they're going to do far away from the scalp and then try out dry shampoo. You know, I actually have a fair amount of gray hair and I was happy to see that when my hair started growing out more and my highlight, you know, was further away from my, from my scalp because my hair, my gray hair almost looks a little bit light, silvery, almost like blonde. It's kind of weaving in, in an okay way. Plus it's kind of in right now to not have, um, your hair done perfectly. So that, that helps for me too. <laughs> um, and then in terms of sunscreen, sunscreen is super important. I cannot stress this enough. Some women get what they call the pregnancy mask, where your face gets a little bit splotchy and you have more brown spots. I, that's definitely been true for me. And so what I've had to do with the help of my facialist, Rebecca Casper Abuoff, is she helped me find a spot remover that is safe for pregnancy. So you don't want to use any vitamin A or anything with retinol or retinoids. Make sure none of your products have that during pregnancy. It's just not pregnancy safe, but you can find products that are still great for your skin and that will help with this pregnancy mask. Even if you're not experiencing that, it might still be worth investing in a spot treatment like that. When I say spot treatment, I don't mean acne. I mean a um, pigment, pigment spot treatment. So I can't remember the exact one that I'm using. I believe it's by the company called Environ and it's two different serums that you blend together. And I still have a little bit of that, of course, but it's, it's very, very much better now. I, I noticed that when I came back from Egypt, it was pretty strong. And that's when she gave me those two, those two serums. And then in addition to that, you want to wear sunscreen as much as possible. Definitely wear sunscreen all the time, even when it's like, well, not all the time, but you know, even if it's 10 AM and you're just headed to the grocery store for a little bit to grab some snacks, the sun is strong. And so having sunscreen that you like, that's good for your skin. Uh, again, I think I use the Environ brand. Actually, let me look. It's in my purse right now. Yeah. Environ. I guess just sunscreen, face and body, <laughs> that, that's that been great for me. And my skin in the past has been um, prone to breaking out, so their products are, are excellent. And then also wear a wide-brimmed hat if you can. I took a really wide-brimmed hat. It's a pink hat that I love. I took it to Egypt. I took it to Italy. I have it in my house. I, I wear it when I walk my dog. I wear it when I go to get you know, run errands during the day. Even though I'm putting on sunscreen, I also put on the hat too. It's just an extra layer of protection for your skin. And I imagine once you have the baby, if you're out and about, you know, think about protecting the baby's skin as well. And, and you should be included in that. So those are my tips and tricks and uh, ideas and what was helpful for me in terms of self-care. And now I want to talk about mindset and spirituality and emotions, because this is a huge part of pregnancy. You're going to have different hormones than you've ever had in your whole life. You are literally making a new human. And so it's important to have the right mindset and the right, I believe, spiritual integration as you connect more to the baby. So I mentioned in the conception uh, episode, which was part one, that I had, I had some anxiety before we had our first ultrasound having gone through a miscarriage. And what really made the difference is when I realized that every moment I get to carry life is sacred. So whether that was two more days or two more weeks or two more months or a full term, I was just going to honor the sacredness of the fact that my body actually got to carry life and, and is carrying life. 
And it takes a lot of faith, but finding faith that you will have the pregnancy and the birthing experience that you need. This is an act of surrender. I know that we have fertility clinics and we have acupuncturists and we have doctors and midwives and doulas and all the things that I've shared that have helped me in my journey. But at the end of the day, it's me, my body, my soul that's that's going through this experience and having my own sense of faith, I believe not only has helped me in the pregnancy, but it's also going to help me be a good mama. Now, it's so tempting to go onto Google and look at all of the different boards of what the pregnant women are saying and look at the blogs and the sites. And I did a lot of this in my first pregnancy, the one where I had the miscarriage. Now, in that pregnancy, I did have some spotting and some other clues. So there were things that were freaking me out and I was trying to get more information on. But I realized that it put me in a really negative space emotionally and mentally when I was going through that experience before the miscarriage actually happened. I was, I was kind of a wreck for a few weeks. So what I decided to do in this pregnancy is pretty much stay off Google as much as I could. There were times when I would of course still do that and get on YouTube, but almost every time there was something I didn't want to see. There was lots that I did want to see, but there was enough of the fear factor that it wasn't even really worth it. And if you consider that most of the sites, whether it's the bump or what to expect or the pregnancy boards and discussions, you know, they're, they're vehicles for advertising. That's why those sites exist and how those sites exist. And so to me, I didn't find that it was that useful. There was too much fear, way too much emphasis on a traditional hospital-based birth, way too much emphasis on these cultural myths that pregnancy is painful and that you're going to get swollen and that you're going to have headaches and constipation and, you know, blah, all the negative stuff that I just realized, you know what, I feel a lot better when I'm not using those things. Now, if something crazy was going on, I would typically do one quick Google search and then email my midwife or my doula. And that was enough. But I wouldn't let myself go down that rabbit hole because I did that the first pregnancy and it was not helpful. Now, the bump has the ability to show you week by week of what's going on with your baby and your body in 3D. That was a feature I liked. But all the other features and all the other ads and sites never really, just never really were that great for me. And same with YouTube. You know, if you search YouTube about birth or pregnancy, you can get the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, everything from, you know, the best things about being pregnant to, you know, my pregnancy experience and I made the mistake of Googling about births, birthing, you know, I wanted to see videos of live births. And some of them were really great. And some of them just based on the title, I was like, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> so set healthy boundaries with yourself for how you're using media and, and all of these things that are out there. Make sure that what you're feeding your brain is uplifting and helping you feel even more aligned with your healthy, happy pregnancy. Now, I did find that there were a lot of waves, waves of energy. And so there would be days where I felt totally energized and then days that I needed multiple, multiple naps. And then there were days where I felt so peaceful and full and glowing and radiant and days I felt really hormonal. For me, I found that it passed pretty quickly. You know, I was never in one of those states for longer than a few days. And it t- tended to follow a rhythm where I'd be feeling really good. And then the next day I would feel kind of off, like a little bit of a crash And in that off time, I would need more sleep or I'd feel kind of weepy or a little bit hormonal. And that was the best time to work out or take a walk, to eat really healthy, to have one of my celery juices, to do an art project. I'm going to talk about creativity and a little bit on this episode. So just allow yourself, allow yourself to be in all of these phases, because just like your baby, your baby's going to have good days and your baby's going to have days when it's feeling cranky and you get to feel that way too. So you don't have to have a perfect pregnancy, but you can transform 
the pain so it's more pleasurable. Like instead of it being painful that you feel hormonal, what if you can tell yourself, oh my gosh, what a gift that my body is going through such a rapid transformation and that my baby is hormonally developing and my hormones are changing in response. Isn't this miraculous? What do I need to nurture myself? So that's good questions you can ask yourself is what do I need to nurture myself? What do I need to feel replenished? What do I need to feel more connected to my baby and my body and let your body's wisdom and your baby tell you. I believe too, that the reason we go through these ups and downs in pregnancy is because the baby is growing in stages too. You know, the baby has their own growth spurts. And so accept and allow that instead of pushing or judging that tools that really helped me with the mindset were YouTube videos on affirmations. There are pregnancy affirmations. If you just search that, you'll find some great videos there. Hypnosis. There is, uh, I think it's called entrance. Yeah. Entrance is, um, I believe it's British. At least the voices are British. Their hypnosis was amazing. They have a 30 minute one and a 50 or 60 minute one. I loved theirs the best. There's all different sorts of options. Just find what works best for you. And then binaural beats. If you haven't used binaural beats before, they really help entrain the brain to be in the right brain waves. So it could be alpha brain waves or gamma, although that's less common. Typically it's like alpha or delta brain waves that just help your brain get in a place where it's less, less jumpy. <laughs> and so those all really, really help. There's even fertility based binaural beats and other binaural beats of calm and peace and healing. And as we talked about before, you know, connect spiritually and energetically to your baby. If you're going through a hard time, talk to the baby and say, Hey, you know, mommy's feeling a little bit tired today. I love you so much. I'm going to take really good care of myself. There's one of the affirmations in one of the YouTube videos that said, Every day when I practice self-care, I I show my baby how to love itself or something like that. I'm an example of self-love. And it really hit home for me when I first started listening to that and then throughout the pregnancy that every time that I practice self-care, that I'm gentle and nurturing with myself, it's actually an example of how to love oneself to the baby and who wouldn't want to instill that in their child sooner rather than later. And then each morning, I mean, there's some mornings I would forget, but I would try each morning to ask the baby, you know, Ruby, how do you want to feel today? Or what do you want to experience today? And so it was really cool to kind of wait and see her response. And sometimes she would say, I'm tired. I'm just sleeping. But most of the time she'd say excited or pleasure or magical or joy or dance. And, and she'd have a cute little thing that she wanted to experience. And so it was really fun to be able to um, use that as an intention then for the day. Okay, well, then how can I create a joyful day for me and for my baby? Now, symptoms will come up, of course, you know, symptoms might be, like I said, swelling or headaches or constipation or bloating or morning sickness. I don't believe that we need to beat ourselves up if we have a symptom, but I do believe that we don't need to stay there in suffering, that we can move the energy and move the, the flow of, of life and of our mindset and our emotions to get support. And that support might be a spiritual support. It might be just adopting a new belief. It might be going to see your acupuncturist or setting up a session with your network spinal practitioner. But questions that I would ask myself if I, let's say, had a headache is, you know, what is this about? Is this really about just the physical aspect or is there something deeper that's going on? Am I feeling stressed? Am I feeling burdened? Am I feeling overwhelmed? And how can I address those root causes versus just the physical symptom, which is more of a manifestation based on this more energetic or emotional thing that's going on? Other questions I would ask is, what is this teaching me? What does my body need? Is this my energy or is this collective fear 
or is this lineage or ancestry stuff? Because sometimes it's maybe just collective fear. Maybe you stayed up late and you were looking on Google and now you're feeling anxious and tired and overwhelmed the next day because you're full of fear based on what you saw on the pregnancy boards. Probably not super helpful. So you may need to set some boundaries and not look at your phone for the rest of the day, or at least not go on Google for the rest of the day. Maybe you need to do some affirmations or connect with your partner and share your fears with your partner. If it's lineage or ancestry stuff, you can do cord cutting. You can do lineage healing. There's a lot of tools and practices out there. You can connect with a coach on. I do a little bit of that with my clients. um, If you're curious about that, or you can also work with a Reiki practitioner. I do believe in addressing it immediately, not because there's something wrong, but because why suffer? Why turn that pain into suffering? So for me, that would look like putting my feet up or drinking more water or moving more if I was starting to feel a little bit more swollen, you know, instead of eating every five or six hours, eating every few hours to avoid the food aversion and clear my emotions and then focus on pleasure. If I had a headache, you know, put a little bit of essential oil on my temples and then Uh, listen to some music that I love or do something that felt pleasurable. The other thing for me that was really helpful is to have a a deity or an energy to connect to during this process. So for me, it was Mother Mary and Isis. Those were the two female goddess energies that nurtured me and held me during the pregnancy. You might connect more with Jesus. You might connect more with Allah or another, you know, another energy, but surrendering to God or universe or source or one of these deities is really useful because pregnancy and childbirth, and I'm imagining motherhood is all about surrender, about letting go of our expectations and letting go of control, but still showing up powerfully and creating action. And so I would ask God or the universe, you know, show me what I need to do to have the energy required that I need. So sometimes, you know, my body was tired, but there were still things that I wanted to accomplish. I created a bunch of new courses during my pregnancy, and I did a lot of really fun things for and with my clients. And so I needed that energy, and I didn't want to push myself. But instead of just saying, oh, it's not going to happen and giving up, I would just say, you know, God, show me what I need to do so that I can create the things I want to create and so I can nurture myself, my baby, and others. And then I would be either shown or kind of told or get a sense of, oh, yeah, you know what? You just need a 20-minute nap or um, drink one of those pre-mama B12 packets or go for a walk that will give you energy or do a light workout. I would almost always be shown what I needed to get back into that place of creative flow. Now, in terms of energy, you do need to protect your energy. We talked about this before when I talked about some of the healing practitioners that were not aligning with how I was wanting to feel in my pregnancy. But there are going to be a lot of people who you might not jive with, and you do not have to keep up appearances. It's important to trust your intuition now and after the pregnancy when you're trusting your intuition as a new mama. So if one of your friendships or relationships or something that's an acquaintance or a teacher-student dynamic is strong enough, it can handle you pulling your energy back a little bit more for a few months. It's okay for you to be less accessible, to be less responsive, to meet up with someone less often, not out of rudeness, but just because you're nurturing new life and you come first and baby comes first. And if the relationship is strong, then it'll be fine after the pregnancy. You'll get back into a new rhythm and a new cadence. 
If it's not strong and the relationship disappears during or after the pregnancy, then it wasn't going to last anyway. And anything that you would have done would have just been kind of propping it up with the precious fuel that you have. You only have so much energy um, at any given moment. You can always expand that. I believe that there is unlimited energy, but our ability to tap into that unlimited energy can be compromised depending on how we're feeling or our mindset or how much support we're having or what's going on in our life. So for me, having the right energy during my pregnancy was huge. And that meant being really mindful about who I spent time with and where I put my energy. So clear your energy. If you feel like you've been taking on other people's energy, you can do smudging with sage. You can just use breath. You can do what they call like dry bathing, rubbing, you know, your hands, just kind of gently patting them over your body, especially if someone comes up and starts touching your belly or your body without you asking. This only happened to me. I think once, once or twice during the pregnancy. And I was a little bit caught off guard. I just kind of, you know, uh, moved away and just said like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Or like, oh, I'm not feeling well or something like that. And then I did a little bit of energy clearing. So make sure that you're protecting your body, protecting your energy. And that even includes people's comments. Even if someone's not touching your bump, you know, they might comment and say something. Like there was a woman that I met in Italy who told me, I was about five months at the time, and she was like, oh my God, your belly is huge. I can't believe that you're showing. I had twins and I didn't even show until my seventh month. And it was weird. I was like, well, this is my body right now. (laughs) That was that month where I gained seven pounds in one month and then only one pound the next month. But in hindsight, I'm thinking, why would you tell that to someone? Don't tell someone that their bump is huge. And conversely, you know, even though you might mean it as a compliment, like, oh, I can barely tell that you're pregnant. That woman might really want to be seeing her bump. She might be worried about miscarriage and she might, she might want every single physical possible sign that the world knows that she is pregnant. So don't comment on other people's bumps. (laughs) And when you get commented on, if people are commenting on yours, take it with a grain of salt. Again, clear your energy and what I say is dropping the veil, like putting a veil over your energetic fields, like an auric field bubble of protection, as if, you know, a foot or two feet out in front of you in all directions, like an egg, you had this shell, the shell is protecting you, it's porous. So you can bring things in that you want to bring in and you can release things out that you want to release. But you can make that like a concrete shell if you need to really protect your energy Or you can make it a little more translucent if you're feeling more open. But, you know, everyone has their opinion, but none of those opinions matter really unless they're in your inner circle, unless they're one of your support team. But even then, someone in your inner circle, you might have to learn to let it roll off you. They might say something every once in a while and you might be feeling really sensitive or they might be feeling not very sensitive and not be thinking as they're saying something. But I believe developing this thicker skin and not caring so much what others think is a beautiful part of motherhood because what a gift, even when you're not pregnant, to be able to not care so much what other people think is a, is a huge form of empowerment. So the last few things I want to talk about is this sense of creative energy. Being pregnant is one of the most creative times in your entire life. So why not enjoy that? It's also one of the most receptive times of your life when you're open and you're never going to be more connected to life and to your womb and to your body and to the feminine. Now, if the feminine does not create with this energy, it's more likely to destroy or get into consumptive mode. So we have the power to create and destroy. And some destroying is important. You know, every month when we're not pregnant, we are literally releasing the uterine lining that did not create a baby. And so we need to be able to release or, you know, destroy, I guess you could call that. Fire in some ways is destructive, but it also creates new life. 
So there's nothing wrong with destroying, but when it's unconscious destruction, it can be a very big form of self-sabotage. So for me, overspending is kind of the way that it plays out in my life. That's how I destroy or consume too much. For some, it might look like overeating. It's anything that's done to an extreme that's destroying something within us or that's um, consuming something within us. And that happens when we're not creating. We have this powerful life force energy that's flowing through, but it needs to be harnessed. It needs to be respected. So for me, it's having an art project. I'm working on these yantras, which is an Indian word for, for basically like a mandala or a picture that you draw. And uh, for me, I drew and then I'm using these paints. So it was a beautiful little art project. I think I had bought the supplies in January of this year. I didn't, I didn't know that I'd be using it and doing it while I was pregnant, but it's been a really fun thing to do while I'm pregnant to harness that creative energy. And then I've also been doing a lot of creativity in my business. So I created Fabulously Feminine course, the Win in Online Dating course, the Trust Yourself course, and then the Sacred Sexuality course, which is not opened yet to the public, but it will be opening. Uh, I've just been using it with my VIP clients so far, but it will be opening sometime in 2020. So I suggest that you pick something that's artsy something where you can use your hands or something that feels really creative in an artsy way. And then also pick something that's kind of entrepreneurial or cerebral that gets your mind opening to new possibilities and new ideas. Uh, obviously the entrepreneurial things for me were with my business, but the cerebral things that had me opening to new ideas was perinatal psychology. This idea that the baby already has um, a psychological experience even in the womb. So the baby itself started having dreams or has dreams. You know, the baby itself has a soul journey that she's going through. And to me, that's just fascinating. So pick something that's both going to stimulate your mind, your intellect, and your sense of possibility, and then something that gives you a way to, to use your hands and to create something with your hands. So that's that, you know, I have some book recommendations and then we will wrap this up. There are so many books on pregnancy and some of the books out there, I again, think are more about what could go wrong. And I don't like those books. That's not where I want to put my energy. If something is off, my midwife or my doula will tell me. And if I feel like something's off, I will reach out to them and let them know. I don't need to be learning every single thing about what could go wrong because why program that into my body and into my baby. So my book recommendations are more on the side of preventative care and more on the side of the mind-body-spirit connection in pregnancy. So the first book I recommend is called Spirit Babies. It's about connecting to the spirit of your baby. Also the book Babies Are Cosmic. Now I have not read that book in full transparency, but I have listened to talks from the authors and I can't wait to read that book. I wish I would have read it before we even conceived because it talks about conception, pregnancy, and birth. But whenever you can read it, it's great. Womb Awakening is not particularly about pregnancy, but it is about connecting to your womb. And it's been rocking my world. I loved that. That book is called Womb Awakening. And then there's a book and a movie called Orgasmic Birth. So if you want to have a pleasurable birthing experience, read that book and watch that movie. It will totally change your mind and your emotions when it comes to the birth experience. I can't wait to have birth. I'm not scared. I'm just excited and looking forward to it. And I hope that I have an orgasmic birth, but I'm, I'm surrendered to whatever birthing experience I need to have. However, that was one of the pivotal moments in my pregnancy is watching that movie and reading that book with my husband. 
There is a cookbook called The Whole Nine Months by a woman named Jennifer Lang, who is a friend of my friend Rocky, who is a somatic sexual sexual body worker, sexological body worker. And uh, he's very familiar with trauma, with pregnancy, with pelvic floor and all of those things. And anyway, his friend Jennifer Lang wrote this cookbook called The Whole Nine Months. And I tried a lot of the recipes, not all of them, but it was just nice to have something on hand. And in addition to the recipes, she tells you month by month what nutrients the baby needs and what's going on with its development in a positive way. So it's just nice to go back and see like, okay, I've been craving salmon. Oh, this is why, you know, the baby's brain is really developing a lot right now. Well, here's some recipes that include healthy fatty acids. Other books that I recommend, The Fourth Trimester, which I mentioned, which is all about postpartum care. Cannot stress that enough. I think one of the reasons that we have so many challenges with postpartum depression and moms and daughters and, you know, moms and sons is because the the first trimester after we give birth can be really rough. I haven't experienced that yet, but I'm I'm going to be giving birth soon, and so I wanted to be prepared. So the fourth trimester, I think by Kim Johnson, was was amazing. Highly highly recommended. In fact, I think that's the most important book on this on this list. Now the last two are the first forty days, a cookbook for the postpartum period. I'm so excited to make some of those recipes. I'm actually going to be doing that this weekend as I nest and prepare for baby Ruby. And then the last book I recommend is The Happiest Baby by Harvey Karp. Now, there's plenty of other baby books. We just haven't gotten into them yet. We will do that when the baby arrives. I guess we could have been preparing sooner, but it feels like this was the most important one, The Happiest Baby, because it helps you get through those first three months after baby arrives. It has been so fun for me to share all of my tips and tools and insights based on my experience. Again, this is not medical knowledge. This is not medical information. I am not a doctor. So please do what you need to do to be resourced and supported medically. This is just my experience, but my hope is that there's something here in one of these three episodes, part one, part two, or part three, that can help you as you're pregnant or help someone in your life who is getting pregnant or is a mom to have a more pleasurable pregnancy. I'm sending you lots of love and many blessings on your conception, your pregnancy, and your birth. Thanks for tuning in and turning on for healthy love because better relationships mean more power, more creativity, and a better planet. I'm here to end the suffering of abuse and loneliness, and it starts with you. Please subscribe to my show and leave a review.